episode of the Uncle Marv podcast and this week I am joined by a good friend of 40 years um, <laughs> it has been quite a long time since I knew this gentleman and we are talking about the Schneid Chris Snyder how are you doing Chris good morning Uncle Marv I'm so great I, I love your 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 river of years because I think uh, I might be overdue and wishing you a happy birthday from a couple weeks ago, which would have made you for, for, for about four months older than me. Yeah. You will always hold that title. Yes. Uh, yes, that is. Uh, we are getting up there in years, although I like the idea of you shaving the head like me. To, uh, I wish I could tell you it's shaved. It just kind of happened. But yeah. Covered up. All the, but you got the you got the scruff there showing all the. All the years of wisdom. I guess we call it. Uh, it's either that or stress. One or the other. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Snyder and I go way back, and we are talking back to the beach. And uh, I'm trying to remember, did we officially meet in elementary school? Yeah, we did. I went to Surfside, and if memory serves me correct, you were a Holland kiddo, although it could have been a sea park. It was one or the other. No, I was Holland. Uh, you were Holland, and and we were uh, part of that that gifted program, whatever in the world that meant. Um, and they had this weird experiment where they brought over the gifted kids from Holland and brought them over to Surfside and put us in a room together to see what would happen. I think that was fifth grade. It might have been sixth grade, but yeah, that was that was when I first met you. Yeah, um, I don't know if you listened to last week's, but Greg Rupel mm-hmm. uh, apparently was on the bus with me, and I don't know why I didn't remember that. Uh, I, I saw the I saw the Facebook live with him. I listened to MacGyver all the way through, and I, I'm eager to listen to to Rupal. I got quite the giggle out of watching uh, Diana Rugg, Dee Dee Rugg, uh, interacting with that because she may have sat next to him in every class, but I sat next to him in one. Oh, okay. I sat next to Rupal in uh, Mr. Seely's. I think it was Seely, some sort of an architecture or a shop class, and we built houses out of foam. And we had tables of two, and I sat next to Rupal, and I, I, I think I irritated the dog out of him. He was really good at it, and I really wasn't, so I was always poking at him at how, how to make my project better. Yeah, he, you know, I when I was talking to him, you know, I always had the idea, so he is an engineer, hmm. but he's not the kind of engineer I thought he was going to be. I thought he would be that builder, architect, designer, you know, you know, the person that, you know, builds the skyscrapers, you know, sort of a guy. Right. But no. Well, he built he built a good one out of foam in our class. Uh, <laughs> I remember that because mine looked like a big old mess and his was very precise and intricate and perfect corners and all those other things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Holland and Surfside, which mm-hmm. um, kind of interesting. Shouldn't have been a rivalry between us, but for some reason there was. And I don't know if it's because we were the group that got brought over on the short bus. uh, um, but uh, it was interesting although my sister did go to Surfside Mm -hmm. Uh, Noel or and I'm forgetting the name I I should get an award for remembering Noel Michelle Michelle Michelle? Michelle's the other look at me how about that yeah yeah Noel is the one your your middle sister 
wouldn't talk to me. Your youngest sister would follow me around and pick on me. That's what I remember about those two. So yeah, that I remember was, them well. Every once in a blue moon, I'd come to your house over across on the other side of South Patrick. Yeah, that was what she did back then. She doesn't remember all of this, but I, I have to remind her that when I would pick her up from school and drive her back, I had to take her to football practice or basketball practice, and she would literally fight with the players at school. <laughs> Uh, I remember in sixth grade, we had a parent-student teacher conference. Mrs. Earl, my sixth grade homeroom teacher, um, came out, introduced herself to us, blah, blah, blah. Noelle kicked her. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I'm going to guess now, I don't, I've lost track. She's probably a model citizen with, with 2.5 children, a white picket fence, and two dogs. So you're almost on, on point there, yeah. She has, um, she has two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, she rotates the animals in and out of their house. They've had a dog, they've had a bird, they've had other stuff. And, um, she is a model citizen. She was, oh, she has been doing work with Easter seals, the boys and girls club. I mean, she's been wow. doing some stuff. She, she got her doctorate from Florida state. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. Big, big educated, way more educated than me. Absolutely. <laughs> she, um, well, I think what she did was, because, you know, one of my things was always to be Dr. B. Mm-hmm. And then I quit after getting my master's. And that was probably the one thing that she realized that she could, you know, get up over on me. Um, do, do, do you make people call you Master B? Did that happen instead of the Dr. B didn't happen? No, that, that did not happen. You'll always be Uncle Marv to me. I don't um, think I can get yeah. away from that. Uncle Marv is the one that seemed to have stuck. So. Ma- Master B probably was a bit much for people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember very well when you came over. I remember, I want to say it was you and Eva Long were the two that made the biggest impression with me. And and we had a handful of kiddos there as well. And if it was fifth grade, the fifth grade, they did this really awful experiment. Um, the teacher's name was Miss Kakushi. And they put the gifted kids from fifth grade in with the troublemakers of sixth grade who just bullied us for the most part. That's That's pretty much my memory of my fifth grade year was having to to fight for my own with the sixth graders that were way cooler and way tougher than we were. So I wonder if that's why I was getting into fights at Surfside. Because be. if we were the it was my grade. fault because you were hanging out with us. It was me and Stephen Powell. Yeah, you were hanging out with us, Zach. We got in trouble. So yeah, yeah. And Daniel Herman was supposed to be my bodyguard. If that makes, <laughs> makes any sense to you. <laughs> well, he's a tough kid that took no took no lip. We'll just leave it that. That's yeah. awesome. So. Let me ask another question because this is kind of funny. So, you know, I was late to the Facebook game mm. f- for a reason. And as I was going back and poking around and, you know, meeting up with people, is there really a Surfside Elementary alumni group? There is. I don't think it's terrifically active, uh, <laughs> but yes, there is one for there. There's one for that prison we called the Laura. And then, of course, there's a big one for Satellite High School, and somehow I got roped into being an admin, which all that means is I verify that people actually went to Satellite, and I try to take the political stuff down. Really? You're an admin in that group? Yeah, there's like there's three of us. I've never met the other two because it's not a class of 85. It's a Satellite High School complete. Oh, then I must not be in that one. No, I'll I'll find you. I'm in like 40 groups, and I don't know half of them. (laughs) Yeah, there is a Surfside thing, and it's it's funny because – so I was an Air Force brat. My dad got us to Patrick Air Force Base when I was in second grade. And that was the longest I, mean, I ever lived there. When I got to sixth grade, I think it was, my, my father was up for reenlistment. My mom said, you can do whatever you want. I'm staying here. 
so dad opted to save the marriage and, and get out and got another job with IBM. Um, but the same kids from second grade, there's a handful of them I still talk to. I mean, Melanie Ryder and, of course, uh, Stephen Powell's gone, but I talk to Stephen's dad all the time. Um, Teresa Anderson was part of that group. And, and we went to school forever. It was so strange because where we grew up, and I'm sure you covered this with Greg, it was such a transient community, except for those people that were there forever. There was always one or the other. You had the, the Air Force folks that came and left in two or three years. And then you had the rest of us that were there the entire time. Well, I tried to explain that to him a little bit because, you know, there were a couple of topics that came up and I had to explain to him that I was one of those Air Force brats that should have mm -hmm. came and left. Yep, and I didn't. I stayed. But I did. For some reason, I didn't know you were an Air Force brat. I just assumed you were one of the, you know, satellite beach homesteaders. <laughs> you know, your family had, you know, been there for years. You were in that part of town, yep. <laughs> as we say. <laughs> No, Pops Pops got out uh, when I was in sixth grade, and we actually lived, that's how I met Melanie, we lived right behind Surfside Elementary. I used to be able to jump my fence to go to school. And then when I was in seventh or eighth grade, uh, we bought a house, that one that you probably knew over on Norwood Court, and moved over there. I remember us playing football in a field near mm -hmm. A1A. Yep, right behind my house. Okay. Yeah, I drove by that not too terribly long ago. I got a lot of fond memories from there. Wow. Now... Did you guys live on the base? Were you at uh, South Housing? No, we were not. When we moved, uh, we uh, prior to Patrick, Dad was at uh, off at Air Force Base in, in Nebraska, and we actually lived in a in a camper there. And then we got a house, and I'm talking camper. I'm not talking trailer. This thing had no indoor plumbing. We lived in that for a couple of years mm. um, before Dad got a house. I think Mom and Dad were just socking away money. But when we got to uh, Patrick, they bought a little tiny house on Laurel Street, right over by Surfside. So now we. I, I don't ever have a recollection of living in base housing. When we were in Arizona, we did. Okay. Uh, and I think I was born in Mississippi at Keysport Air Force Base. And I think you, we lived on base housing. There, you think you were born sure. in Mississippi? <laughs> no, I think I, <laughs> I think, well, you know, I, I think <laughs> I wasn't there very long. I think I lived on base in Mississippi. I was definitely born in Mississippi. I just got out before I caught the accent. All right. Kind of like me in Louisiana, because that's where I was exactly. born. Exactly. Yeah. Although it was upstate Louisiana. I don't know if there's a real difference, but. What is upstate Louisiana? Uh, Shreveport. So I go to Shreveport. That was a lead in question. I thought you were going to say that with my with my job, we have an office in Shreveport. And I used to get there about seven or eight times a year. Now it's about twice a year. Okay. It yeah. hasn't changed much since you were born 53 years ago. I, it I, looks very similar. <laughs> I can't imagine it has. Uh, although um, I may be visiting there this summer. We've got a reunion plan that if all goes well and things, you know, kind of flatten for us, uh, we'll be making that trek. Uh, my grandparents, uh, my mom actually grew up in Alexandria. Uh -huh. And um, I remember Peanut Street. And... Uh, that was a house with that was a house now with no indoor plumbing when I first uh, my first recollections oh, wow. of that. Yeah. So the traditional outhouse, unbelievable. Mm, yep, yeah. I remember mm -hmm. having to truck the truck the white bucket out and <laughs> take care of business. And good uh, grief, you know, burning uh, not burning but you know boiling water on the stove to take it into the big round tin bucket that we would take our baths in, and wow. we would truck in hot water. That's yeah. Yeah, the town itself, other than the casinos, still, it's, it's, it's an older town, but the people are sweethearts. I mean, we've got some really great employees that, that work out there. It's, they're nice people, just real good people. Mm. 
Wow. Memories, memories. So mm-hmm. right, well, we're going to be doing a lot of that, but let me get some people up to date. And okay. currently you uh, work for Ben. Is it Ben E. Keith or just Ben Keith? Ben E. Keith. That's the man's whole yeah. name was the man's whole name. Yes, uh, sir. Now you've actually been there a while. You started back in 2002. You've done your homework, Howard Stern. Yes, sir. <laughs> I try. So, yeah. so tell us what it is exactly that you do there, how you got there, some some notable things. What's what's up with Ben E. Oh, Keith? gosh. The, the how I got there. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this quick because it's really boring and no one wants to hear it. Um, after I got out of college, um, worked for the Auburn Athletic Department for a very short amount of time, figured I was going to make no money and never work weekends, although it was a really cool job to be around the athletes at Auburn. Um, came back to, came to, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, grapevine proper, um, which is where my parents had relocated. Um, I had not lived here, of course, during high school, but they moved out here in college, um, ended up in the restaurant business as a manager. I got on with a group that was creating and developing restaurants. So I got to be part of that for a while, um, moved to Houston, moved to Los Angeles for a few years, came back to Dallas, Fort Worth area, um, got on the distribution side. So. Um, I'm, I'm, I work for a grocery distributor. Benny Keith is, uh, was established in 1906. It's a privately owned company. Um, it's the sixth or seventh, depending on who you ask, largest food service distribution in the nation. It's about a $4 billion business. Um, and I sold groceries. So that's, that's the, you know, restaurants and hotels and jails and schools, you name it, everybody's got to eat. And thank goodness, even right now, it's a sustainable business. All the restaurant industries in a, in a world of hurt today. Yeah. Um, but did that for a number of years in your neck of the woods, Cisco, not the CI that you, that you're used to, but you'd see the trucks that say SYSCO. S-Y-S-C-O. Yep. I see them. Correct. That's those are, that is one of our peers. Um, did sales for them for a number of years, uh, was able to earn my way into position as the director of marketing for the DFW division of Benny Keith. So Benny Keith has eight distribution centers, um, from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Elba, Alabama, uh, currently in 17 states. So I sold groceries, I became the director of marketing there. And then just at the beginning of this year, I transitioned roles um, in the official really verbose title as corporate director of independent sales for Benny Keith. But basically I'm director of sales for the company. Um, we've got 580, I think, sales reps and about 61 district managers and not a single one of them work for me, which is awesome. Uh, I really work for them. Um, my job is, is to help them be great at their jobs. It's a ton of fun. There's a lot of travel involved. I'm just getting my feet wet on, on the new part of the job and getting, getting out and seeing all the the guys and gals at all the different centers. But that's that's what I do. All right. So now sometimes the director of sales is exactly what it sounds like. You're in charge mm-hmm. of sales, but sometimes it's yep. more of a logistical title where you're actually coordinating the sales force. Um, what's the percentage of your responsibilities as it relates to those? I don't really do a whole lot of logistics. My job is to put tools in their toolbox to make them successful. I identify opportunities um, where they may need a little bit of help, and I figure out ways to help them. I do a lot of teaching. I do a fair amount of public speaking. Um, That's really my role. And, you know, technology is such an amazing thing. As as you know, that's your industry. But we're able to look in uh, using tools that we have in pick your market, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and, and realize that there's an opportunity to sound so silly, Marvin, there's an opportunity to sell more ice cream in Fayetteville, Arkansas, because our competitors are selling way more than we are. And then it becomes my mission to figure out how to make that happen via maybe developing promotional material, materials, working with the director of marketing of the company. Maybe it's um, 
maybe it's going out there and, and doing teaching sessions. Maybe it's getting, you know, the, the bluebells of the world to go out and, and really it's blue bunny, but uh, trying to get other vendors to go out and sell. So that's, that's my job. It's a ton of fun. I get to teach and interact with people all day long. And, and it's, it, it really is fun right now with, with the COVID thing happening. Um, I'm not able to get out as none of us are really. Um, and we have a brand new director of marketing with the company. He's a great guy. Um, but my role has been to kind of help get him up to speed as of late as well. And I'm, I'm doing a, a shameless plug. You told me I could uh, yeah, a video right series, a video series that we're putting out onto all of our social media. So all the Benny Keith Facebook pages, uh, if you're bored enough to go look up a Benny Keith Facebook page, um, there's a new video that comes out in support of our restaurant industry. It's not really promoting Benny Keith as much as it's promoting the restaurant industry because it's hurting so much right now. And if you listen real carefully, uh, the voice you hear might sound a lot like the one that you're listening to right now. Well, I saw, I believe it's the most recent one, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a big push right now entitled Eat Local, Eat Often. Eat Local, Eat Often has become my whole, man, you have done your homework. I won't say that again. Eat Local, <laughs> Eat Often is is uh, the president of our company came up with that initiative of charge, and it's really, it's a, it's a it's an industry-facing campaign. It's not it's not a Benny Keith facing campaign where we're just trying to support the local restaurants or because they're hurting so bad right now. That's it. I've been able to, I'm scripting those videos, working with videographers to put the material together. And, um, I've done the voiceovers on, um, well, two of them, one will be published this, this next Wednesday. And then another gentleman named Ruben Riggins did the two prior to that. Okay. It's interesting because funny thing I thought about, I wonder how companies are, you know, thriving or not thriving during this where, you know, we know that restaurants are now having to shift and pivot mm -hmm. and do curbside or takeout or delivery. And, you know, one of the things that finally happened here, the local radio station put together a deal where every day they are, I don't want to say targeting, that's not the right word, but they're picking a mm -hmm. local mom and pop shop that needs the business, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they've been a staple of our community for a long time and, you know, people, they're just not going out. And, you know, the, the ones that are providing the curbside pickup or the delivery or the takeout or whatever, the radio station is target is, you know, is picking them to say, look, folks, go and support this organization during this time. And it's not very hard to do. We're, you know, a lot of people are ordering anyway, but if you're ordering from, you know, the national chains, most of them are going to be fine if you, you know, skip them for a day. Correct. It's, it's the local mom and pops that are living uh, check to check. And they're, they're really suffering. Of course, the government's money is not getting into their checking accounts as quickly as they would like. It, it's going to be a, a dramatic fall off on the number of restaurants and all of all of our communities when this thing opens back up. It's it's sad, but, but we're a resilient nation. We'll come back. It'll be okay. Yep, we'll be fine. Now, you're in the distribution side of it, and I mm -hmm. know that to some degree this probably doesn't affect you as much, but it's got to be affecting you guys some as, you know, some of your people, you know, may not be placing as many orders or or whatever. But there's still a lot of food being delivered and served and stuff like that. So I got to imagine you guys are still busy, right? Yeah, we're doing okay. Um, it, it's the business is off about 40, 40 to forty-five percent as a as a as an industry. We're we're right in there in that thirty-five to forty percent mark. Um, 
again, a resilient company. We have national accounts as well. We support Sonic and Raising Canes in most of our markets. I don't know if those are big down in, in South Florida. So we do have some national account business, but the majority of our business or a large portion of our business is the mom and pop operators. And that's who we're really getting behind. Okay, um, it, and again, it'll come back. It's just going to be a different looking landscape. This this takeout delivery thing, if, if you were set up to do that before COVID-19, you're probably doing okay. If you weren't and you get to reopen, you better be thinking about how to make that happen because this could happen again in a second. I think that there's going to be it's going to be a slow ramp to before people are willing to be in giant crowded rooms or hanging out at a bar with shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of their friends. It's going to take a little time. Well, it's, it's going to be a pivot just like in my industry. You know, I had a lot of resistance for years of setting up companies to work remotely. Mm. You know, the only ones that really got it were either the executives, you know, the business owners who wanted to, you know, keep track of their stuff after hours or attorneys that needed to work. You know, they, they usually work long hours or on the weekends and stuff. So we set up remote access for them um, 24-7. But the regular staff were always neglected. And putting together remote access solutions for everybody, you know, was a thing that, you know, now the companies are getting. And it's interesting how they go ahead. It, it, it has been fascinating for our industry, too, in that, most of our meetings are person to person. We're relationship based business. Right. You know, we, we, I have been on more Skype, Zoom, uh, StreamYard right this second, uh, house party, you name it, Teams, Microsoft Teams meetings than I've ever been. It's just been a wild month and some change. It's been all day, every day. And, and now we all get to play the game of is he wearing pants, which I, that's, that's, that's what I've learned with all this video thing. Yeah. I showed up in a tuxedo top to a meeting a couple of weeks ago just because I've, was feeling colorful and that became the big game is is he wearing pants yeah. and I'm still not telling anybody. Well I am, I always do. There's no, <laughs> I am as well, sir. <laughs> no question about that. Um you're right. It is funny because and you know, sad to say, it didn't dawn on me because this is what I do. And mm -hmm. I've been doing this for years. Now I didn't always do it and it's a slow ramp, but you know, doing the remote support and the remote videos and podcasting and stuff that was second nature to me, but, you know, helping other people transition, um, mm. especially the older folks who, not yep. that they're too old to do technology, but, you know, they didn't have, you know, webcams at their disposal or, you know, they didn't have a microphone and they didn't know how to use Zoom. And, uh, and so it's, it's been fun. It's been interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has been. So let's talk about interesting because I, I'll be honest, I don't remember everything about elementary school junior high school, satellite high school. Mm -hmm. I remembered you going to Auburn University. True. I have no idea why you went and what you studied. <laughs> but for some reason, I did not think marketing and sales with you. No, I started off uh, as pre-med. That lasted about three weeks. Uh, and then I got That's into hospital weeks. administration. Uh, that lasted about a year uh, and then ended up in the School of Journalism, um, which was interesting because, you know, in, in, in high school, um, I did really, really well at math and science and I hated it. I, I mean, I hated every minute of it and I really struggled with English. So I did the great wise thing and became a journalism major. Um, the reason I ended up at Auburn university, um, I started dating, uh, Becky Rusum my senior year, our senior year. She was my uh, high school sweetheart. Yes. She was a year younger than me. I remember Becky. And her, yeah, yeah. I can tell you, Beck's doing really well. Um, she, uh, her older sister had gone to Auburn. 
Um, and I, I fell in love with the school. It was far enough away that mom and dad couldn't invite me to come home uh, to mow the lawn. And Beck and I were going to we're gonna try the long-distance relationship thing, and maybe, just maybe, she was going to come to Auburn. And it turns out she did, and we dated for mm, probably two years uh, once she got to Auburn. Um, and she's, she's doing well. I've seen her once uh, since then, and it's funny. In my business, it's been about eight or ten years ago, our director of national accounts walked into my office, and he said, do you know a Becky Chapman? That's her married name. I said, I, I do. That was my high school and college sweetheart. Why? You know, she owns a melting pot in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she's a customer of ours. They dropped in ours. So she and her husband, Mark, are doing fantastic. They own a couple restaurants up in Oklahoma. Wow. But that's how I ended up in Auburn. Um, Stephen Powell, uh, the late, great Stephen Powell, ended up um, coming to Auburn. Uh, he went to community college for a year and then came up to Auburn my sophomore year. And we lived together the next two years up there. Uh, there were a handful of people from Auburn that went. Uh, Chris, or from Satellite, Chris Sturhan and uh, Teresa Bender ended up at Auburn, and I would okay. see them running around. They were both in sororities. I'd catch up with them every once in a blue moon. Uh, Peter Hillman, who I still hear from every once in a while, ended up at Auburn. So there were a handful of us that got up there. It was a, a great place to go to college. I mean, it's a fantastic community. All right. Well, I got nothing to say about Auburn. So you you guys were, <laughs> you guys were at a completely different football conference, and, you know, other than you and Steven going there, I was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It was a fun time to be there. Our freshman year was Bo Jackson's uh, senior year. So we got to watch the Heisman thing. And then I actually worked for the athletic department the last couple of years I was there as a student assistant. And then that morphed into a full-time job for a very short amount of time. But, you know, we had a, had a football player that got tired of being hit that walked onto our uh, baseball team and we all made fun of him and he's in the hall of fame. That's Frank Thomas. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really, it was a fun time to be there. I missed Barkley by a couple of years, but he'd come around once in a while. It was, it was just a, a, a wow. real neat time to be at college. So I, I, I was such a, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't aspire to do a lot of things when I was in high school. I was always kind of the kid that was the quiet one in the back. I wasn't part of the cool kid circle. I wasn't, I was kind of a nerd, but I mean, I, no, but I, mean, I was just, I was just there. Uh, so when I got to college, I tried to do a lot of different things in the athletic department. I first got into radio when I was in college as well. Um, I, I was very active in a lot of organizations. That was, that was one of the best times of my life. Okay. So a whole bunch of stuff just popped up there. So we're going to go all over mm -hmm. the board because first of all, all right. um, you're going to have to edit this down. We'll go on for eight days. Oh, yes. I, no, I don't edit anything by the way, uh, <laughs> unless you downright curse with one of the George Carlin seven, um, mm. that'll only get bleeped, but nothing else gets edited. <laughs> noted. Um, so love Chuck, by the way, that's probably mm. one of my ultimate goal, ultimate goals is I want to start uh, interviewing famous people. Don't think mm -hmm. it will ever happen, but you don't know if you don't ask, right? That's right. Um, so Charles Barkley is one of those guys who I think is a perfect interview every single time, holds nothing back, always tells the truth, and, yep. you know, whatever. Gotten him in trouble, but you got to admire that. You don't have to look to see if he's got some sort of weird hidden agenda or that he's hiding right. something. He, he speaks his mind. Yeah, which, you know, speaking the truth shouldn't get you in trouble, but a lot of times it does. And Yes, it, sir. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, like putting chairs and picnic tables on the top of the Rusum's house. So, I remember that. <laughs> you know I remember what's, that well. You know what's hilarious is I don't think we have a picture of that. No, we should. We've got to see if somebody has a picture of she us. She might. She wasn't. She no. She wasn't up there with us. We're, we're, I forget. They were like on vacation or something, right? Yeah, they were out of town. And like they were we gone, found we out that. when they were coming back in an estimated time. And God, who was that? That was um, me, you, Snide, 
um, uh, Steven, mm. who else was up there? You were the only one athletic enough to get up on the roof quick. So I imagine we were handing the stuff to you, but yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that kind of stuff that gets you arrested now. Back then it was just fun. Oh my goodness gracious. All right. So you mentioned the athletic thing. So mm-hmm. I, I do remember, um, you weren't really athletic, Mm-mm. but you played with us. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up in the athletic department at Auburn? You don't have to be an athlete to be an athletic supporter. So says the movie, uh, you know, I just, I always loved sports. I was a sports I watched sports nonstop. I mean, I would make my parents crazy watching whatever random baseball game. It was always the Atlanta Braves on TBS, you know, yeah. as a kid. And and Stephen and I would always end up going out to the spring training games down to Mr. Powell would take us down to Vero to Dodger Town or back when the Astros were in Cocoa, we'd go up there and watch games. Um, so, yeah, I was always a sports fan, and I got totally swept up on, in it when I got to Auburn. I mean, to be able to walk into a stadium – with a team that was pretty good with 85,000 people screaming their heads off was just something, you know, it, it, it satellite. I think our surf team probably drew almost as many as the football team. You guys were cool and it was fun, but there were not huge crowds coming to football games. No. Then I get to Texas where the, the stadiums here in Texas for high school are, are better than a lot of small junior colleges. Well, of it's course, unbelievable yeah. how yeah, things Much different but, atmosphere there. Absolutely. No, yeah, very much so. They have rodeo teams instead of surf teams. But yeah. You know, and you got to admit satellite, you know, we did have to, to contend with the beach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had, you know, people rolling in and out, you know, it wasn't yep. just, it wasn't just, you know, shifting every four years. I mean, Satellite Beach just didn't have a ton of, you know, aspiring kids back then. I think our class was probably one of, I mean, we had a couple of guys that went off and played, like Robin Fisher went to play for the I Tampa, remember Robin, went to uh, Tampa uh, Bay. Bethune-Cookman. And yeah, I think he went to Bethune-Cookman College, but yeah. Yep. And then, There's a name uh, I haven't heard in a while. See, I had a couple of names there and some stuff after we left, but um, not really not really a big sports town. No, but still, man, and he, you touched on this with Greg last week. That is, You don't realize what a charmed, charming place that is and what a charmed life you have growing up until you get away from there. I tell people all the time, when I went to Auburn, I was trying as hard as I could to get away from Satellite Beach because I wanted to reinvent myself, and I've spent the last 35 years trying to figure out how to get back. I mean, it's just a magical place to go to school. It is. I don't even. Yeah, you're right. And it's hard to explain to people. No, I mean, you tell people, oh, well, you know, Jeff Beck's dad drove the crawler that, that took the, 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 the rockets out to the launch pads at NASA. And we didn't think a whole I didn't think a whole lot about it. No, I we didn't, no. people did. You get away and you're like, man, that's that was just that was really cool. Just a fantastic place to grow up. So just a, another side note here. So that is one of the reasons why I'm hoping that I can talk to as many people as possible from those years, because there were so many things mm-hmm. that I didn't know, you know, about people that I went to school with and, you know, hung out with and all of that stuff that there was parts of, especially living, you know, in Cape Canaveral, you know, mm-hmm. how many of our friends had something to do with a lot of those launches? Absolutely. And, um, you know, Stephen Powell, who I've mentioned a few times, his dad was up there working with the astronauts. You go to his house. I was there in September, I think it was. You know, there's 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 pictures of the astronauts on the walls and pictures of 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 Mr. Powell and their their son, Doug, with with, you know, Neil Armstrong and a flag that's flown on the shuttle. It's just it's a museum. And it was commonplace there. Yeah. Yep. And I got to speaking to Mr. Powell, I got to get back there. I I miss. And this is a, a weird little thing, and my family never understood it. But of course, every Christmas, 
uh, for a very long time after we graduated was going back to the Powell's house oh, yeah. and uh, spending Christmas there, uh, playing basketball out at the Surfside uh, lot, but then just hanging out at the Powell's house every Christmas day. Still in the same house. He turned 90 this year, and he's still in the same house, still lives alone. Uh, yeah. he's, he's doing he's doing well. We'll have to get something together for this year. and uh, Yeah, since that reunion got we canceled, get... we just need to figure out our own. Yeah. Um, all right. So I wanted to get back also. You mentioned radio. Yeah. So you were a DJ? I was. So I was, you know, I was always a music nerd growing up. Uh, again, kind of like the, the athlete thing. I didn't start playing guitar up until about seven or eight years ago. I admired Paul Raub uh, for his guitar finesse as a high school kid, but I couldn't do it. Um, but it was always a huge music fan. We, I, I still, I, well, not the last month and a half, but my wife and I go to shows constantly. Um, it was a huge music fan. And when I got to, to Auburn, I think it was my sophomore, junior year, I went and uh, got my FCC license, which you had to have back in those days and became a, a DJ. And I remember the, the very first show I did, I had the coveted uh, 5 a.m. slot on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. <laughs> and my mother had been in town and I, I, and, and I think she heard me and we did a t-shirt giveaway. And I said, if you're the 10th caller, we'll give you a t-shirt. And I think I got up to four before the same people kept calling back again. I don't think there was a whole lot of audience. <laughs> uh, but I did end up parlaying that into a, uh, did a sports talk show with a guy named Rob Brown, um, which we did my senior year, which was very well received, especially in a, sports-minded college like Auburn. And then I actually revisited radio uh, much later. I had kind of put it away. Um, I was working uh, for the Dallas Stars hockey organization part-time. I was a huge hockey fan, um, but I couldn't afford the tickets. So I did the next best thing, and I went to work for security, which is ridiculous because I'm not a big man. But, uh, but the security they put me on, I was very fortunate. I sat right behind the Stars bench which down there, the only problems you have is someone spilling their $12 drink or rattling their jewelry too loud. It's not exactly a rowdy group like in the upper deck. Right. But I met a guy named Jeff Kavarsky, Jeff K, who was a radio icon here in Dallas-Fort Worth. And we got to talking, and one thing led to another. And before you knew it, I was moonlighting uh, as a radio DJ here in Dallas-Fort Worth. I did that from, that was 97 or 98 up until 2000, which was a lot of fun nights and weekends. I, I got to live my rock and roll fantasies and, and, uh, and, and be an on-air DJ. It was just so much fun. I, I was one of Jeff and I were the only two guys that survived a transition. We went from a, um, an adult alternative format, which is my wheelhouse musically, uh, to a classic rock format, which I enjoy as well. I love me some classic rock, but uh, when you play Van Halen for the 14th time in a three hour shift, it just got tired. Guy ended up leaving, but so many great memories. I got to meet a lot of, of, of wonderful people, uh, still some longstanding friendships of people in that industry. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Neat opportunity. Yeah. And you, I mean, I could see that you were doing a lot of posting of, you know, events mm -hmm. that you would go to bands that you would go yep. see. Um, you got to see some minor celebrities a lot of times you saw. Yeah. So, okay. Now in 2014, you had a mm -hmm. picture of you with Rupert from the Dave Letterman show. Uh, so <laughs> were you there to see Dave or were you there to see Rupert? I was there to see Dave and, and I had to figure out where Hello Deli was and went by there. And, and, and let's just say that Rupert makes, makes the most of an opportunity because he was willing to sign every picture, sign every piece of anything you wanted and, and take every picture you wanted as long as you buy a Coca-Cola or something. Yeah. He was maximizing that opportunity. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I just, I happened to be in New York city on business. Uh, Ann went with me and we ended up, uh, scoring tickets for the Letterman show, which was really, really fun. All right. 
So I want to make sure I don't forget to do this because one of the mm -hmm. reasons I asked you to be on is, is something you did last year mm -hmm. where once a week yep. you would spotlight somebody to mm -hmm. do a little blurb on, on Facebook and talk about history and life and inspirational things about them. Um, you actually picked me for one of those, which I was kind mm -hmm. of shocked, um, <laughs> mainly because you didn't tell me you were doing it. It just kind of showed up one day. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. There was real no method or madness to who I picked when. So that was half the fun anyways, yeah. when people wake up and find out. Yeah. And uh, so obviously, you know, one of your friends had done this before and mm -hmm. what inspired you to follow his lead and do the same thing? Mm, okay. So uh, I've, I've had two really great best friends in my life. In elementary and junior high and high school, it was Stephen Powell. Of course, we lost him in uh, 1995. Uh, my best friend as an adult was a guy named Andrew Dutton. Um, I met him shortly after I moved to Texas in 1990. Um, he was an aspiring musician, and we hit it off. I, I always have, I've have, have had a lot of musician friends. And he was he had a, a quite a bit of success as a local musician, a regional musician. He toured the state of Texas, played in cover bands, did really, really well. Um, he, uh, fell in love, got married, decided that he wanted to be off the road. So he went back to school and he was probably 38 or 39 years old and got a teaching certificate. So became a school teacher when he was right around 40 years old, I may be off by a year or two. Um, and it, and it changed his life, uh, but he still maintained gigs. He would play just for his own fun. He, he had, he played a lot of shows here around town. Um, and he had had a show on new year's Eve. Um, of 2015 leading into 2016. I woke up on January 1st, 2016 and uh, saw I'd been tagged in a Facebook post and it was Andrew, so I figured it was something silly. And when I opened it up, it said, uh, today is January 1st, 2016. And this year, I am going to uh, talk about someone every day uh, that has influenced my life in a positive manner. And today I'm gonna write about my best friend, Chris Snyder. And I was just blown away. Um, and I called him, I got him on the phone about 10 30, 11 that morning. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, man, I, I just, I really believe that, that, that people, especially guys don't share enough about when someone does something great for them and, and connection and love is what makes the world go round. So I'm just going to talk about people I know and people I've met and what they've meant to me. I said, you've realized that you've just signed up to do 365 straight posts for 365 straight days. Do you even know 365 people? And he said, man, I'll figure that out. That's what the world's all about. And it really touched me and it touched a ton of lives. Um, we lost Andrew in June of 2018. He was young. He's my age, our age, uh, healthy, um, wife, two kids, and sadly just had a heart attack out of nowhere. And it killed him. And it was, it was just a, uh, of course, a tragic thing because we never saw that coming. And I did the eulogy uh, at his service. It was a celebration. Um, I did the eulogy. And I want to say there were, I don't know, five or 600 people there. It was an overflow. Um, this is going to be a long story, Mark, but as a school teacher, he also did something which was really unique, which is at the, he was a middle school teacher at the end of every year, he wrote a letter to every single student. And it was not a form letter. It was a, uh, dear Marvin, I loved having you in my social studies class this year. Um, you really have a, a lot of great qualities. Uh, you're, you're so good at talking to people. I think you need to work a little bit more on your study habits or whatever. Here's my personal email address. Please feel free to reach out to me as you go through your scholastic career. So at the service, towards the end of the service, I said, if you are a student of, of Andrews and, and you received a letter, please raise your hand or stand up. And a lot of the room stood up. I said, if you were one of the 365 people that he wrote about, please stand up. And by that time, 80% of the room's up on their feet. And 
um, I forget exactly what I said, but it was something about, you know, you, you create a lot of love and, and, and you're, you're leaving quite a legacy. And, um, about three or four months later, uh, Wendy, uh, Andrew's wife, I spoke to her and I said, I'm thinking about doing what Andrew did, uh, because it was just so inspirational to see that at the service, how many lives he had touched. Um, because people remember those kind of things, you know, you, you always go back to somebody may not remember exactly what they say about you, but they'll remember how they, how you make them feel. It's all about feelings. How do you make someone feel on a regular basis? And it lifted up so many people. And Wendy was enthusiastic about me doing it, but I said, listen, I can't do 365 straight days. That's rock star stuff. Uh, so, and I'm not a rock star. So I, I chose to do one a week. And the, the part about it that was so gratifying for me wasn't so much. I love getting to talk about people that, that I grew up with in your case, Marvin, and there were a, a handful of people that I talked about that from, from our youth, but then people I've worked with, but it wasn't so much what I got to say to them or how it made me feel, which was awesome. But I got people walk up to me later and go, man, you know, because of your post, a guy I haven't talked to in 15 years reached out to me. I've reestablished a friendship or I never knew that that person really thought those sweet things about me. So it kind of gave a form for people to, to, to express themselves in, in a way they normally wouldn't because me pulling up Uncle Marv's page up and going, hey, man, I love you. I just wanted to know I'm thinking about you. It's probably not going to happen, but you find this way to communicate with people. And then, and then it just became an organic growth. And it was just such a rewarding thing to do. And I may not be done. I, I've taken myself off the, I'm going to do it every week. Uh, is, as other people, uh, as, as I feel inspired to do it, I'll probably continue to do it going on out. This is a tribute to my friend Andrew and, and knowing that um, I'm making somebody feel good. Well, I can tell you this. That was a great thing that you did and hope that you do continue to do it because one of the things that I've come to realize is that we don't take enough time to look back and thank the people in our lives that meant mm -hmm. something no matter how big or how small. And, you know, I remember lots of times having, you know, felt something from somebody and, you know, didn't say anything to them. And basically at this point in our lives, that needs to be done. And, Absolutely. And, you know, I will try to do as best I can to reach back out to people and say that. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing this as well. Well, I was going to say, Marv, this is what you're doing right now. This is so great. I Absolutely. mean, I, I doubt, I doubt more than three people listen to the one that, that, that you're, we're doing now because it's me. But uh, I, I think that, yeah, you, you're, you're making people feel good. It's a, it's, it's, it's a great thing that you're doing. I love this. Well, it's something where, and I'll, and I'll explain it for, for you. When my wife met you at the reunion, and, you know, and trust me, for her to show up to my reunion, uh, not knowing the history of Uncle Marv and oh, having to just sit there and listen to everybody. And, you know, it wasn't a lot, but she came to me, you know, as we're driving, well, not came to me, but as we're, you know, driving out or home or whatever. And she's like, wow, do you realize what people are saying about you? And some of it I had no idea. You know, sure. that certain people felt a certain way, you know, and good or bad, because I'm not going to say it was all great, um, mm. you know, because there were some things that I did that, you know, pissed some people off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but Marvin, you, you were always and I said this in my in my in my write about you, you were the cool kid that didn't act like the cool kid. Most of the cool kids had arrogance and a big ego and wouldn't have anything to do with us. But here's I the, mean, the other kids, but that, you, you, you didn't, you, you treated everybody the same. You always did. Well, but here's the thing. I don't really see myself as one of the cool kids. I'll be honest. I just mm -hmm. never did. I did. I got to do some cool things. You yeah. know, I got to play sports and football and basketball and track, and I got to be in student government and I got to be a part of all these clubs. 
Mm-hmm. But the part of the problem is that I was just too busy to like have one set thing and one set group of people. That's when I look back and think about, you know, I don't have that one best friend that mm-hmm. I talked to my entire life. And that's a shame, basically, for the type of people I know. I mean, I have moments and memories. And like I mentioned earlier, going back every year for Christmas to mm-hmm. see you guys was just one of those things. Um, you know, I have that for junior achievement. I have that for, I mean, I do have those types of things, you know, seeing Christy Wybronowski at times and Catherine D. Thorne and, you know, there were the football guys that I don't have a huge camaraderie with them, but when I'm with them and remember times, that's yeah. what I remember. But you're right. It wasn't, I tried to treat everybody as best I could. I didn't do a great job all the time, but looking back at the impact that certain people had on me Mm -hmm. um, made me the person I am, you know, uh, and there are, you know, and it might be, there are people that I'm going to try to interview that I don't remember anything except for one interaction that basically I live as part of my life, that one interaction with somebody's, you know, whether it's an impression of me or something that they said or whatever. Um, and I think that that is true with all of us. There is something that all of us will look back and remember from all the people that we've met, all the things that we've done. There is a connection that needs to be remembered, mm-hmm. um, maybe nurtured in some cases to bring out the good in all of us. And that, you, you can't take it with you. It's all about how you make people feel. Right. You, you, it's, that's, that's what the world's built on. So, you and, know, you were, and you were one of the cool kids, whether you want to admit it or not, but that's fine. You, you keep living in, in your own little self-imposed, <laughs> I wasn't one of the cool kids thing, but you were definitely one of the cool kids. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, but we'll see as, <laughs> we'll see as these interviews go on, <laughs> as the cool people come do. and uh, say things. But, uh, well, Chris, I want us to go ahead and end off this uh, episode like this uh, on, a, on a good note. And of course, as I continue to do this, hopefully I will have many more people on, but I also will want to have people come back on and make it a regular thing. We do updates with everybody and how are things going? If there's any, you know, if there's any announcements that you need to do for Benny Keith, um, Mm -hmm. you know, let me know and I'll uh, throw it up here and then tell people about it. And obviously if there are get togethers, and uh, I hope that we do do something this year since we can't do the reunion. Um, I would even be willing to host a virtual reunion. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Don't know how it's going to go yet, but that's a thought I have <laughs> rattling in my head that I want to try to make happen. So, Love it. Do that. Well, Chris, uh, thank you very much again. Chris Snyder. And uh, what town are you living in? I didn't even uh, acknowledge that earlier. Grapevine, Texas, which Grape- is a suburb of Fort Worth, Texas. I'm right by the, the big old DFW airport. Okay. Um, and now the new director of Something Something Sales. Correct. Director of Something Something Sales is exactly <laughs> what it says on my business card. Uh, for Ben E. Keith Corporation. And, yes, uh, sir. Uh, go to his Facebook page and uh, go to Ben E. Keith's Facebook page and support the Eat Local Eat Often initiative that's going on now uh, during the COVID-19. Chris, and, thank and while you. you're there, go skip back and read about Marvin. I think he was in March. So March of 2019. March 12th. I remember. That, there you <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Three days before my birthday. I remember well. 
Perfect. All right, Chris, thank you much, sir. And thank uh, you. we will uh, see everybody next time on the Uncle Marv podcast. Thank you.